2: Hello, Hockey World. Today is Monday, November 26th, 2018.
0: I'm Peter Tasty in Winnipeg.
2: I'm Russ Cohen from Sportsology. And I'm Michael Agello on location, and this is the Hockey Buzzcast here on HockeyBuzz.com. Uh, gentlemen, a very busy weekend and a very busy Monday news-wise, and we're going to jump right into it. Um, with a move that is stunned a bunch of people because we thought that the outcome in Philadelphia would be the firing of a head coach and it turned out to be the firing of a general manager it was announced about 10 30 this morning that Ron Hextall was relieved of his duties as executive vice president and general manager of the Flyers Russ we'll go to you because you basically about five minutes before this happened said you know I think Ron Hextall is getting fired which I thought it was you know all the time we've talked I thought it was gonna be Hextall and now it's turned it turns out to be Hextall.
1: Yeah, I didn't have any inside info. I just, I came to that conclusion because there was a deal made and all of a sudden the Flyers did nothing. No coach was fired, no player was fired, no, you're not fired, but sent down, nobody was traded. They usually aren't that inactive. So that led me to believe that, that Rom was in trouble and, you know, he may have just walked out. We don't know. And, you know, Parla is clearly upset about it. He may have walked out. But but we don't know what the circumstances were. But the, the, the deal is this. Right now, rumors are going crazy. There's nobody who has a really good inside track as to who's coming in and, and interviewing for the GM. For all we know, Dean Lombardi could be handed the job. He is there. Right. He's under contract. Or he could hire, or he could help in the hiring process. So there's a lot of steps here that I think people are overlooking when you know they're sort of in this business. I don't have a good feel as to who's going to come in, but Dave Haxtell was on the ice today and so were the other coaches. So clearly they're going to go GM first and then, you know, everything else will happen as it happens.
2: Well, and that, that's the thing, Peter. I, like I had expected if this was going to happen in terms of Paxtell, I would have thought it would have been a sort of a clean sweep because now maybe that's too much turnover and they don't want to, you know, they want stability on the ice at least for a little while. And then maybe they let the new general manager, choose who he wants as, as a new coach, but now Darren Drager reported, and this is just early, early on, because this happened a little over an hour ago uh, and it mentioned names like Ron Francis um, and Chuck Fletcher, formerly of the, uh, the wild and formerly of the, um, well, uh, of the Carolina hurricanes. So, uh, you know, just, just first your reaction on Hextall and, you know,
0: you know, What's what's curious, and Russ could probably expand on this after I sort of ramble here for a bit, is who's running the team in terms of family and ownership, and who's making James these Scott. decisions. Sorry, Dave Scott, who is the CEO, and he was formerly with
1: and um, the NLL, the National Lacrosse League.
0: Okay, so there's definitely something I, I think there's something to understand there in the, in the in the vacuum of ed schneider and what's come in i think there's probably s- some aspects of things there that have, have come in because schneider was very hands on right he yeah. he had a vision and you know and so that's a curious thing to me whether it means anything or not is is another thing but i think if i was sitting there and i'm in the in the in the executive suite and I'm wondering why my team can't consistently perform. I'm probably looking at a couple things, the roster and the fact that we, the, the organization basically has a turnstile for goalies. And to me, that would fall on the GM. Now I'm not saying Hackstall is the coach that is the long-term solution here that you, if you change the GM, I think he's just next. But the, the weird thing is, is I don't get the timing. Like why not? Like, well, I, in some, I don't get the timing right now because it seems it's better to get rid of the coach and see if you can get the bump from the coach. Then knowing that if Hextall is on, on, um, on your radar, you do it. But you don't wait till April to do it, you do it earlier because you want to have someone who has a good run-in into the draft and the busy season and understanding what you want. This just all this does really for the Flyers, it gives them a leg up on the organizational structure that they want to run to run the franchise as you head into the into the trade deadline then eventually you know then then through into the draft and ufa period it gives them a different approach in a longer term to find that person or put the bright pieces in place that they want to change what the philosophy has been if we take their word that there was a difference in philosophy
1: okay here's the thing all right so That's my- so what he did do in this organization was he added layers to player development that i've been pointing out for the last five years is it five years i guess four and a half, whatever four that I've been pointing out since he's been there because, remember, he was inserted not even as the GM yet. He was Holmgren's assistant, and now Holmgren's outlived him. Um, So he's added in that. He's added in more testing. He, He asked for patience. He did draft a lot better. They've been calling up players. But, again, the hard and fast rule for prospects is you draft them and it's plus five as to the actual age of when they're really going to play in the NHL. You know nathan mckinnon Sidney crosby's aside you know that is the average and so right now this is the worst time to fire ron hextall because his plan is only three quarters to fruition what i think has forced this is lacking lagging attendance because the 76ers are doing well they had the process but it's a different sport And it's easier to do it in basketball because there's fewer players. And it's obviously a quicker turnaround is possible. So I think they're falling victim to that because it's a corporation. And, you know, they didn't hire Ron Hextall. They probably didn't like his stoicness as far as not wanting to do anything. But here's the thing. Even though things have been going wrong on the coaching staff, and I get it, maybe Hextall didn't want to fire Hextall. And if he didn't, then maybe they should have waited another week or two regardless of what you and i think and what the fans think because the bigger plan is really what's more important and right now that is what's being lost most in the translation in places like on twitter and in fan conversation and everything else because everybody has the same goal in mind they all want the team to get better ron hexville didn't saddle this team with one bad contract i mean if you want to say andrew mcdonald fine that's it's not a horrible contract though it's not one where you can't do anything about it. Voracek, I believe, was before him. I think that was run. So, like, what are you really going to hang on Hextol? That he didn't make enough trades? Okay. they Making the playoffs early was a bad thing. We all talked about it. Simply because they were rebuilding, and they're still technically rebuilding. But, again, because other teams in the city had gotten this leg up and were doing better and grabbing fan attention. And I yeah. think – with the creation of gritty, and they saw that they probably did that to try and get more fan engagement. I think that has come into play here as much as anything else.
2: I'm sure gritty will be the next general manager, but uh, yeah. what,
1: I, it, I this is on waivers. But I'm not sure.
2: There, there you go. But <laughs> th- th- this is the thing, and I, you know, I mean, I admire and I applaud Ron Hextall for his patience um, because I think general managers. For in most instances, have to have to preach and practice that because sometimes when they try to be too active, like a guy like Brian Burke coming into Toronto, you can do more harm than good. My problem is he did not solve the one. Glaring problem that this organization has had for years, which is, like Peter said, the goaltending. And it was right smack in his face. He goes in last year and trades for Peter Mrazek because he didn't had to give up anything of major consequence. He goes into this season with Neuverth coming off an injury, with Elliott being the inconsistent force that he is, and you know, I, you know, has to pick up Calvin Pickard off of waivers. And if you watch that game on the weekend in Toronto, you know, I mean, I like Calvin Pickard. And I think he. He's an NHL backup. You play him the third game in four nights. He played two periods in Buffalo. He played a shutout against uh, the Rangers, and then they start him in Toronto instead of starting Stellars, and he gives up four goals in the first 12 minutes. It was just stupid to start him in the first place, but it's a symptom of a larger problem, which is they don't have a starting goaltender, and when you don't have a starting goaltender, it's tough to win.
1: Right. It's true, and – but people will say it's the roster construction. He brought those two goalies in. He did. But he also was doing that because he didn't want to saddle the organization with a bad goalie contract like Mr. Snyder did with Paul Holmgren and Ilya Brzgalov, which is exactly what would happen if he, let's say, midseason traded for, you know, Bobrovsky and signed him to a seven-year deal. Because, again, you could look at it and say, who's the best goalie that's going to be available out there? It's going to be Bob. Should he get a seven year deal at like a $10 million price tag? No, no, he shouldn't. And so, you know, that's something Hextall wouldn't do. So they probably did want him to do something he didn't want to do, whether that was fire Hextall or was other things. They it didn't happen. I do think this puts now the Flyers at a disadvantage. This is not what was ailing him. Ron Hextall wasn't what was ailing him. And a lot of the staff wasn't what was ailing them. A few of them were that we talked about, you know, assistants on the bench and stuff. But a lot of the guys in the organization, scouts-wise, you know, assistant GM, they're doing a really good job. So if they're smart, they retain those guys. But we don't know. Like once you bring in a new GM, it's a corporate thing. We don't know. But to me, if it's going to be a quick thing, which I think it's going to be, I would think Dean Lombardi is going to be the – the number one guy they look at simply because even if it's on an interim basis, because he's been there. Now here's the thing. I know, and I already see it on Twitter, that people are like, why would you bring in Dean Lombardi? He signed bad contracts. He also did win a Stanley Cup. And At the end of the day, he had a very good team for a long time. He figured out his problem. He knew his problem was he rewarded loyalty. He talked about that. (laughs) Everything else Dean Lombardi did was good. So if they gave Dean Lombardi a second chance, I don't think that's a bad move at all. But again, I think the younger crowd's going to be like, no, 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 no. This is horrible because he, he signed bad contracts and everything else. But I do think in, in Dean's case, he learned from that. So you could do worse by having someone like that in the organization. I'm sure Paul Holmgren's in on this hiring, too, because Paul Holmgren's been there the entire time as team president.
2: Yeah. Well, I'd hate to be, and we'll move on after this, but I, Peter, I'd hate to be Hackstall in either scenario where, say they keep Holmgren as an interim for the rest of the year, although probably they'll probably hire somebody, but I'd hate to be him in that instance because if there's no improvement, if they don't like rebound and make the playoffs, he's probably out. And if a new general manager comes in, he's going to want to choose his own coach. So he's going to be out. So really it's a, it's a bad, it's, it's death by hanging or death by strangulation. Well, you know,
0: I mean, you can let your imagination run wild with this, right. In terms of what could happen. So if a new GM comes in, well, a new GM is going to come in. That's a given. We just don't know who it is or for, or, or, or when that happens. But when they come in and you look at some of the coaches now available out there and what could likely happen if some other teams don't perform poor very well, there's a lot of variables that could come in to be a head coach for the Flyers and a new GM could simply say, you know what? We need to pony up. Hello, Quenville. What about McClellan? And that's just the start of who's sitting around right now. I don't think they go back to Stevens because Stevens, Stevens was a coach at one point in Philly, right? Yeah, well, I don't think
1: For the, the Phantoms, he was an assistant for the Flyers.
0: Right, right. So that's right. Then he went from assistant to the Flyer. Right, to the LA. Okay. So, you know, I just, I mean, there's a lot of variables there. And I think that's that's kind of interesting. I just pulled up something too. Um, Ron Hextall took over the, the Flyers on July 5th, uh, 2013. He's had 10 different goalies go through that organization. I mean, I'll list off some names. Okay. Steve Mason, rammy Cal, Cal Heater. Rob Zepp, Anthony Stolarz, and then you've got then Neubirth comes in, then back to mm-hmm. Jason Lababera, and then now you get <laughs> with Mrazik. I mean, last season, I mean, it's just crazy. But this, I mean, this no is no stability crazy. in net. This has plagued
1: every Flyers GM since I've covered the team.
0: It really it's has. Been Flyers GM since Hextall was goalie.
1: Yeah. So I mean, you can't even you can't even blame this. Squarely on him, you can't.
2: No, you, you can't. But but I think being a goaltender, you should have seen this the warning signs. It's like but you know, yeah, I mean, I,
1: I I know we say that by being a goaltender. But if we go back in history and you go look at you know, Bill Cook was a great scorer. He was a horrible coach. He was a great yeah. scorer. He should have been able to teach everybody <laughs> how to score. Like we say that Ted Williams should you have been.
2: Right.
0: Goaltending is voodoo. We know it's voodoo. And goaltenders win coaches, Jack Adams, and they get coaches fired and GMs fired. Yes. The goalies giveth and the goalies taketh. And in this case, that might be exactly what has happened to Ron Hextall and pretty soon to be Hextall if he doesn't get some luck or change things around.
2: Right. Now, let's move on here because it was a rather significant trade made late last night. And this one sort of dumbfounds me. Um, now just for the particulars, the uh, the Chicago Blackhawks and Arizona Coyotes who've made n- numerous deals over the last few years. Yeah,
1: I do want to correct it, yes, Even was a head coach, With that's right because when um, he did take right. as head coach
2: for, right. I forgot, I didn't mention yeah. that right, okay. I mean. Okay. the The uh, Coyotes traded Dylan Strome, uh, third overall pick in the twenty fifteen draft, and Brendan Perlini, who was, I believe, a twelfth overall pick uh, a year or two before. I think it was twenty fourteen or twenty yeah twenty fourteen or twenty thirteen, um, for uh, Nick Schmaltz. Now Schmaltz scored fifty two points last season, twenty one goals, thirty one assists, but we only had two goals and I think nine assists so far this year. And Strom had a really good year in the AHL, made the NHL this year, but, and I don't have the stats in front of me, Russ, but I don't think he was doing, he wasn't doing particularly well. He wasn't, and um, he, was, he was in here a few weeks ago, and I could talk about that too. Yeah, so, I mean, I, the thing, I don't, the thing I, I don't get here is Dylan Strom, and maybe he didn't earn it, but Dylan Strom never really got a fair shot in Arizona. Now, you can say he didn't earn it, but he had a great year in the AHL. You know, they they traded for Derek Stepan, They traded for Alex Galchenyuk. So they traded for reinforcements up the middle. And that sort of shut off any avenue for Dylan Strome to be a top six forward. And, you know, I mean that I think I would assume you're picking somebody third overall, that was the aim, was to put make him a top six forward. Now we talked we've talked about his lack of foot speed and a few a few other things, but this is just this is just a puzzling trade. And it it has the potential to be a really beneficial one for the Blackhawks who are getting a little long in the tooth. And this is two young players, but it's all a question. It's all a question of whether they, whether they, you know, turn out now, Peter, you go first. I mean, I, I, I think I like this deal for Chicago.
0: I like it for Chicago. And I feel bad for Todd Cordell because he wanted me to chime in on this. And I got a little distracted. So apologies to Todd out there, but read his, uh, read the hot stove because it's good stuff. And Todd always does a great job. Um, I think it's a good move for Chicago because what Strom can do is Strom has proven in the AHL that he can play as a center and be effective. So y- there's very few guys who can dominate and do well at the AHL who can't over time develop to be useful forwards in the NHL. I mean, y- there are guys who never make it, but the ones who do particularly at that age, they can be useful in the NHL. So, In this case, does Strom give the Blackhawks the ability to relieve Taze on some face-off duties in certain zone situations and stuff? And if that's the case, then you're giving Taze a little bit of a boost and a bit of a breather, and you might get more out of him and extend his usefulness if you're able to put Strom in certain situations. The other thing, and I read this on on another um, site, and, and and I, 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 it's an interesting take, and I'm not—I can't say it's accurate or not, but I think it's interesting. Is there might have been some concerns that Schmaltz wasn't willing to take some of the physical punishment in his position on his entries and stuff. He wasn't willing to um, get a little dirty, as it says, and that was maybe growing weary on some of the uh, some of the team and management in where he was, and that playing in a different situation might be better for him. I think there's also some concerns about what his contract demands would be. I haven't looked up where Jerome's contract is yet, but I believe he's still controlled for another few years. There's not going to be a huge boost in salary he, yet.
2: Well, he's in, the, he's in the last year of his ELC, but he's been in the minors. So, oh, yeah. you know, more than likely he signs a one or two, a two-year bridge probably yeah. for like a so million-dollar range. Where not Schmaltz cost was
0: going to get more than, the, than a bridge deal.
2: Well, Schmaltz, Schmaltz would have probably been in the same position that Ryan Hartman would have been if they hadn't traded him to Nashville. So this is, I guess this is being preemptive in terms of Stan Bowman moving out somebody who he we probably yeah. couldn't, couldn't pay. But, yeah, but Russ, I mean, this is the thing. I, I, I think that Strom didn't really get a complete shot in Arizona and the moves that they made. You know, trading for Stepan a couple years ago, trading for Galchenyuk this summer. Um, you know, they signed. um, um Rad- uh, uh, sorry, a Christian Dvorak to a long-term deal. They were sort of like looking at their center position as if Strom wasn't there. And now I think Strom, if he performs, he could he could carve his niche as a number two center in Chicago, playing with his former Erie Otters linemate Alex DeBrincat.
1: Yeah, here's the thing. All right, so, I mean, after all this, after all these things that you just talked about, Arizona is still two slots from the bottom. They still have a minus differential. So I think this is shaking it up as much as it is making what you deem a good trade. I think the Hawks got the better of this deal because Strom is that magic 22 age. And like I just said, 22 point whatever age is the age where guys really start to click in the nhl if they're going to be nhlers and i think strome is still on the edge but when i saw him a few weeks ago i thought that what mike said is accurate as far as peter rather said is accurate as far as him being able to play the center position his skating is not what you know ryan's skating is but it's it's better than matthew so it's like it could survive at the nhl level i i think he probably does need a new role. I don't know if he's a top six guy. And so that's where Chicago's always had that top nine belief. And I think third line could be uh, a nice way to start him off. I think him seeing a big guy like Anisimov play center could help him because Anisimov had, you know, hiccups for a little while and in, in his career and got him traded out of New York. So there could be uh, maybe they can commiserate. But Brendan Perlini is, is a really decent player. Again, forget about where you drafted him. He is a guy that has size, has a little bit of speed, does have a really good shot, does go to the net, can play two-way hockey. And so, to me, they got an extra player out of this deal because I think they fully believe they can develop Dylan Stroman. I think they will to some degree. On the other side, I think when you, when you look at Schmaltz, he was always a pass first guy if you go look at quotes from him they wanted him to shoot more than he scored 20 goals well then scoring 20 goals is a bad thing because then all of a sudden you can make a lot more salary but he's really a shoot first guy he is a natural center so if this was a way for arizona to sort of figure out their center slotting and say this will now shore us up okay but i think you overpaid to do that and again They did the Blackhawks a tremendous favor because now the Blackhawks don't have to pay him. And so I still, from the Arizona perspective, don't see the long-term benefit here. Because now, yes, they have the cap space. They'll pay Nick Schmaltz. Will Nick Schmaltz ever score 20 again? I don't think so. But I think he could be around 45, 50 points like so many guys are. So that's where I think is the problem.
2: Yeah, Pearl is not liking this trade. Um, well, Peter, no, I was just gonna say. I mean, I like I said, I I still hope for Strom. I don't know. I don't know about top six, maybe top nine, but I think you know. I mean, they can either have an uh, Anisimov play the number two, uh, or or, or Strome. And I think if you're putting Dubrinc with Strom, which everybody assumes is going to happen, then I think he probably fits better as a number two. But you know, the foot speed. I mean he, I, I saw him play in I saw him play in the OHL. His playmaking ability is first rate. I just I just don't think that Arizona he just got sort of lost in the mix there and I think they I think they soured on him. Um, because and maybe maybe this is the case. And teams shouldn't do this. You look at who the the three the, the, the picks around him were and you say, Okay, he's nowhere close you know, he's not McDavid. He's not Eichel. He's not Marner. He's not even Noah Hannafin in terms of where he is in, uh, in terms of his maturation process. But players matured differently. So, you know, maybe he can be a very effective player and it t- takes a year or two longer. But I, yeah, they, you know, they lost patience and they're, you know, they're going for somebody who I think they think is there right now. And I get that. But in the end, I think Chicago, I think Stan Bowman made a, made a good deal.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think Bowman wins on this and, and it'll be really interesting to see how it pans out. I mean, again, Russ, I think you brought up sort of some of the, the, the history of what Arizona's done here. And again, you know, John Shaka gets a lot of sort of, he gets, he gets some praise for things, but I still can't figure out what he's trying to build.
1: I don't think anybody can.
0: Yeah, and, and, and that's where I have some, have some sort of questions about how good is he really he's good at making deals and that he can get deals done but he's coming from a position of strength because he can take garbage in, yeah. in terms of bad contracts if he wants to and has but what's he really building and, and that's really hard to see
1: i will tell you this yeah it's sort of like i just watched the documentary on like orson wells last picture and the only reason i bring that up is because nobody knew What Orson Welles wanted, even after the fact, to try and even finish that film because it was in the head of Orson Welles. I don't think anybody in Arizona, other than Chica, knows exactly what the plan is for Arizona. And so, for us to figure it out, I don't think we can. We look at it and we say, well, is it youth? Well, is it, you know, experienced guys? Is it a mix? Is it you're trying to be a fast team? Are you trying to be a defensive team? Are you trying to. Like it just seems like they change on the fly as these trades happen and they basically draft players and when the draft when when they don't develop well. Yeah.
2: Like
1: I think the biggest problem with Arizona has been player development.
2: Well and, and and you notice what he's done over the last say four or five months. You know, he has signed guys like Chikrin and Dvorak to extensions and gotten them for <laughs> You know, coming off their ELCs for less money than you know what would be expected, um, so he's made good deals in terms of cap space. But cap space is not a consideration for them because they're always trading for players basically to fill their to, to get to the to the cap floor, and they they extended Ranta too. So yeah, those are good contracts and he does make some good deals sometimes but where is the sort of means to an end it's like the the object here is to win is to be successful is to be financially viable and that franchise hasn't won and isn't financially viable so he hasn't succeeded on any level
1: yeah it's just it's it's a questionable thing where maybe in another year or two we'll get it but i think from our perspective we just don't get it and that's fine. I think Chicago knew what they had in Schmaltz. They got good value for him. They also have Evan Barrett who's playing for Penn state, who is ripping it up when I mean ripping it up, ripping it up. He's 19, maybe in two years he's ready to play. Maybe they know that. So they say, you know what, let's put Schmaltz on the market. Why are we paying him when we could have Barrett come up and play center? Maybe then they're envisioning it for next year. And so that to me, I look at what Chicago's doing. And I could see what Chicago's doing because they got an extra player out of this. They were a little short manned. They do have centers that are coming up in the system. Makes sense from the Chicago standpoint.
2: Okay. Um, next up, the interesting uh, placing of wave placing on waivers, and maybe we could see this coming. Um, at the beginning of the season, because I remember the season opener here in Toronto when Montreal scratched Carl Alsner, who had, I think, a little over 600-game consecutive uh, game streak, and they, they healthy scratched him, so that was sort of a signal that they weren't happy with his performance. But um, Alsner has been placed on waivers today, and he's got three more years at $4.625 million. That's a That's a bit of a load. Um, that's a contract that I would assume that Mark Bergevin, if he's going to try to move it, would, you know, take a haircut, maybe retain some salary, uh, to get it, to move it or take a salary back in a deal. But I'm a little surprised at this. And I guess Weber is about on the verge of coming back and they're not in any kind of cap jail. So this is purely, they're not happy with the player. Maybe they're trying to send him a message. I don't know how many messages you have to send a veteran guy, but I'm a little surprised at this. What do you think? Surprised that the last uh, surprise that all was placed on waivers. I
1: mean, sorry. it got yeah.
0: so you obviously tried to trade them, but you can't trade that.
1: Yeah, I, I would think the caps would have interest in them, but I would also have to think that the Canadians would have to eat a fair amount of salary and they're probably not willing to do it. So, probably for the early part of this thing, the easiest thing to do is set them down. No one's going to take them at that salary let the rest of the year tick off and then maybe they'll be in a position where they're more willing to deal him next year and eat some salary or he figures it out. I mean, we knew this was a bad signing from the onset, too much money, hoping to slot in a player that – getting a player and slotting him for the wrong thing. Like that's – you know, again, that's not Carl Alsner's fault. If you brought in Alsner thinking you were going to get X amount of offense from him. It wasn't going to really happen. He's never really turned out to be an offensive defenseman. You know, his best years are 21 points. Now, maybe they thought, hey, playing with Mike Green for all those years and everything else, that he would, he would prove out better that way. Well, he hasn't. But to be fair, he's only played eight games for the Canadians with one point, and he's a plus two. So there's got to be something else at play here. Because that's not enough. The Canadians all aren't, aren't all of a sudden good enough to jettison a player like that. So my guess is maybe there's something up with Claude Julien, doesn't like him, doesn't want to use him.
2: Well, I mean, there's no guarantee he gets sent to Laval because this could simply be place him on waivers as a, like, hey, folks in the NHL. He's available. Yeah. If you, didn't, if you didn't know that, he's available, and then maybe it generates some talk. I mean, the, you know, I mean, this could be a, you know, as I refer to it, a crap for crap type of transaction where another team is not pleased with a guy making significant money and they swap him for him, and somebody who needs a defenseman, or it, or it could be a scenario where they save a million on the cap by sending him to the AHL. Uh, rather than because, you know, the, the salary retention will be, uh, or the salary, uh, uh, the, the, the deduction is, I think, a, a little over a million by sending the VHL off at the cap. But, I mean, this is, this is a guy that uh, only a couple of years ago was legitimately a top four defenseman for the Caps. I don't know if the speed of the game has really hurt him, but I, I would still think he's a viable guy.
1: For another is, team, I'm going to give you a great stat. You want a great stat on him? Sure. His last five consecutive years, he's played 82 games. Six out of eight years, he's played 82 games. So, <laughs> he,
0: so he's super durable.
1: He's super durable. And so if nothing else, there's certainly a role for him to play in the NHL. I think this has to do with the way the coach plays, and it's just not working out because there's no reason other than, hey, we paid too much money for him. To have this happen now, what Mike said may be true, and it may be that he goes back into the lineup. But if he doesn't, then this could just be the coach saying, "I don't have a spot for him."
2: Yeah, yeah, and you know, and, and Weber's coming back in the next week or so. Yeah,
0: right. I mean the other thing too with with all, I mean that contract's a whopper. You sort of forget about these things after a while, and you look at it and go, "Whoa," you know, um, you know it's not Seabrook bad, but it's bad, and you wonder sort of, "Okay, you trade him?" If Bergeron's tried to trade him he's got to take on, he's going to have to eat probably half of it. And they're already paying out on a buyout for Steve Mason. And that just might not be acceptable from a budget standpoint. Right, Eating half a thing. Plus they got another year, Steve Mason, 1.3 million. So you've almost you're going to have almost 4 million or $4 million in eating of someone. You're not there. And, well, I, and then that, that just may not be a, a, a appealing to Jeff Molson no matter how much money he has.
2: I mean, it, I think, I think that's a possibility, but I also, th- I also think it's the, it's the fact that, I mean, yes, you don't want to retain salary. And remember if you retain salary on a deal, it's the same amount for each year. So you've got three more years and he's making 4.6. Say you, say you retain a quarter of that salary. That's still, you know, over a million dollars, a million one. 000, 000, $1 000, 000, yeah. And Yeah. Go ahead. I was
1: going to say, the chat room saying that Pagnata said that he's got it on some word that Montreal tried to eat some salary and trade him and no one wanted him. But again, I think this goes down to you send him down for the rest of this year, another year has clicked off as you know, what you owe him. And maybe next year, if they offer to pay more money, maybe a team does take him because now this year has gone. They don't want to do it this year because there's too many years left
2: yeah that, that, and that's the thing. So maybe they would eat salary, but they wouldn't eat enough salary. And the problem is not the amount, but the term. If it was like, say three million dollars, if they they ate thirty three percent of it and he only had a year left, then I think there'd be a lot of suitors. It's the three years. and it's getting stuck with the you know if the player is you know not able to keep up with the pace of the league and he's only getting older, like everybody else. You know, then then it's it's a situation where you know you're, you're stuck, and and I don't I don't have the structure. I mean, I know the amount and the term, but I don't know if the deal was front loaded. If they wanted to buy him out, you're talking about buying out three years, so that the cap hit would be spread over six. So I don't think that's an option either. So maybe maybe they end up sending maybe they end up sending him to Laval, but I don't know. I don't think that. I don't think that. Uh, Makes the asset appreciate. I think it makes it depreciate. It's sort of like Wade, Wade Redden playing with Hartford.
1: At this point, I don't think his stock goes any lower, anyhow. So I think you're just doing it to let time tick off the calendar. Like that's it. Yeah. Buy again at the draft. Say, hey, this is what we're willing to do. Anybody want them? Somebody might want them at the draft with another year. You
2: know. The salary. <laughs> and, and there, are, and there are other te- there are teams out there looking for defense. Although, like I said, I think that the fact that he's got three years left is going to scare away a lot of teams. Now, okay, um, let's give a little bit of a Neilander update here. Um, on the weekend, uh, Chris Johnston from Sportsnet reported that there are still talks of a six-year deal um, possible. The the price. And apparently the Nealander camp would accept, which is well off the 8 million plus that they were talking about a few weeks ago, was around 6.9 million. So under seven. Um, AK posted and I think this is a possibility because we know that the Nealander camp is basically all about money. Um, they're looking for, you know, if if the amount, if they can agree on the amount, and they said there's a there's a distance of, of uh, about a half a million dollars between the two sides. The, the the speculation is is that Nylander's camp wants most of the first year or a significant part of the point, part of the first year as signing bonus, and that's where there's going to there would be problems for the Leafs because the, one of the benefits of signing him this late. Is and you've seen this? You've seen cap friendly send this out. They can basically have allocate more money on the cap in the first year of a prorated first year of the deal. So say it would be the, the cap hit this year with the Leafs having over $12 million in cap space would be over $7 million and then the cap hit for the remaining whatever years, this is on a six-year deal, would be like 6.2. So it would benefit them going forward. But apparently the, the, the distance between the two amounts would be less if they give them heavy signing bonus in the first year. So that's one thing. The second thing is you're rewarding a player for holding out. For a, for a contract impasse I don't think that the Leafs are going to say oh Willie it's okay we'll give you four million bucks in signing bonus My we
1: have to take a motion out of this this is strictly financial yeah this, this has nothing to do with like that I think you're, no you're,
2: you're no, no in- that that, that, that. That, that's why I said the first thing, Russ. I think if you're talking about it dispassionately in terms of money and numbers, yeah. that's the reason why they would want to do it. I mean, I'm I'm just expressing my, you know my situation where uh, my feeling is that you know I, and maybe you know maybe somebody in the leaf organization too, where it's like, okay, you you're, you've held out for two months or you've you've negotiated uh, and at the eleventh hour you're finally coming down to a reasonable number and we're gonna we're gonna give you a, a financial windfall for that? No. No all you're doing is sending them sending a message to Matthews and Marner next year if they do that they can get like 12 million dollars in sign bonus no friggin way.
1: yeah well I just I think they're at a financial point where this is the last ditch effort before a trade so they got a little closer and they may find that what you're exactly what you're saying is just not palatable with the signing bonus and they might say look, here's our final offer, slide it over on the table, let us know by tomorrow because otherwise, you know, we've got to do what we've got to do because they're certainly not going to let it go down to like the last 24 hours. I really don't believe that. And I don't believe it's a good move to do that because then they lose leverage. I think the whole world knows they're negotiating right now. Even if the negotiations break off, he's still worth a lot. But again, if he doesn't play at all, I think that does diminish him. So I think, and they probably know that. So I think something's going to happen. If I still had a bet on it, I still would say they're not signing him. I think this is just Kyle Dubas doing his last-ditch effort, due diligence, whatever you want to call it.
2: Peter, I, I mean, I, I get the feeling that it's close. And there's, I mean, everything around here in Toronto is, you know, is it a bridge or is it a long-term deal? They, 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 you know, that the, tra- the trade talk is sort of petered out and, and the fact that, if, if a trade does happen, I think it would be a, a rather big shock. Uh, I still think that if he signs a bridge deal, if he signs a long-term deal, it's the last contract he's signing in Toronto. And I think the only reason, and this is just my, my personal feeling, the only reason that they're signing him to a deal, if they can get him on a good number, is because cost certainty in terms of a trade is much better than a situation where you're trading a guy who is – you know, a few days away from not being able to play in the league. So if they sign him to a deal, they may use him for this year, keep him this year and play with Matthews, hope his numbers are good. And then at the draft, you got an asset with five years left or two years left in a deal at a cost, at a a cost certain point that you can trade for whatever you need.
0: Yeah. They, it might be easier to trade him knowing for the acquiring team, knowing that this is what we're in for. And therefore we know where the and, and and there's no question that any team that trades for him is going to have a pretty good idea of what the ask is going forward if Neilander keeps producing at what he's doing so it gives you some relief it gives you some ability to say well, well this is the parameters we are working and we've got this this is the system and this is what he feels he's worth and you can work around that it gives you time to prepare so yeah it's probably easier i, I mean these things are just kind of goofy right like you know the last one to be traded in the situation, well, I guess it was Kyle Turris, right? And Kyle Turris. Turris,
1: But he did play a while before he got traded. Right. About two two Ryan
0: Johansson is similar. It was the next season. Right. Right. And, and that's, you know, so, I mean, it's all a curious thing and, you know, we can spin this any way we want, but I think Mike, the one thing that's super interesting is all trade chatter has just gone quiet. And that's probably that doesn't the most. That there's no trades to be made. All that means is teams may have said, hey, Leafs,
1: this is what we'll give you. Yeah. And they have three or four offers on the table, and they said, all right, you know what, let's try and do this one more time. Right. Or not, let's relook yeah. at these offers.
2: You know, that that's consistent with what I've seen here because the number of scouts, I mean, it peaked about two to three weeks ago when, you know, Carolina was here every every game. and. You know, St. Louis had a couple of Philadelphia. Now all of a sudden the scouts are down to the normal level for mid to late November, which is four or five for the game, and that's that's it. So, I mean, yes, they may have done their due diligence. They tabled their offers like it was reported that the Leafs had asked them a couple of weeks ago. The offers are in, and now they have them, and they say, okay, now we'll go back to them and see if we can get him under a deal, get him under a contract, and if we can, great, and if we can't, then we have the – fallback position of making a deal. And so so
1: on it now, like we don't know if they, they hire a new jam in the next day or two, they yeah. could very well get right in, back in, on it. Maybe Ron Maxwell didn't want to give up certain assets that somebody else wouldn't want to give up. So that's another thing to keep in mind.
2: Right. We'll take a couple questions in the chat uh, after we talk about this, but I wanted to mention this because Peter, I'm sure the, uh, the, the coffers of the Winnipeg jets were, Crying a little bit when they saw that Patrick Linea scores five goals on the weekend. Yeah. You know he's, you know him and Connor and Truba. I mean, this is going to be tough for them. Uh, in it summer. is.
0: Someone just turned the lights out in my basement. <laughs>
2: uh,
0: yes, I do work for my basement, but it is an office. Uh, um, it's it's going to be challenging, and I don't think there's any way that one of these guys is slipping out. Um, I think what's really interesting about this line and I've written about it, uh, uh, but more so is that when line had five goals, that entire line had 13 points, Connor and little assisted on each uh, four of those five goals. Cause one was a power play goal. Like they're doing a, a, there is, and there is some serious chemistry developing there now. And it's taken a little bit, but I don't mean, want
1: to overrate that, Peter. A, a week ago, the Flyers had nine points,
0: yeah, from the
1: top line, and it meant absolutely nothing going forward.
0: No, I know, but I, I think from a production standpoint, what I was where I was going to get at was I think there's there's no surprise that given the right situation, Brian Little can adapt his game and, and, and find success, although apparently not between Eelers and, and lining. But what what I don't think people are really noticing and you probably wouldn't notice if you don't watch the jets a lot is the kind of player Kyle Connor has become, this is a kid who is growing up before our eyes. He is tenacious. He is, he is very driven now and he is playing with a hell of a lot of confidence, like in areas that he hasn't, you know, people used to think, well, Connor's just riding shotgun with, with um, Shifley and Wheeler. Well, sure. But now he's taking control of a line and doing things that he wasn't expected to do. I mean, he's his assists, the way he's helping set up plays now, his vision, it's really starting to come together for him. And there, you know, he's going to cost more than Ehlers, no question, because he's doing more than Ehlers does. And uh, how the Jets figure this out, I don't know. But we all know that every GM, has a big, they probably have six of them, big spreadsheets. And they look at things and they balance things. They've already talked to agents. They're penciling in things or, you know, guy scores five goals in the game. They just added half a million dollars to the next contract value. Then he goes without goals for six games and they're gonna wipe out 250 of that. It's a moving target and they all work within it. There's a plan. It'll be interesting to see how it unfolds there. And and the plan may have some, some um, casualties. And I think what Jets fans often overlook is that I wouldn't be surprised to see Dmitry Kulikov, who hasn't played in a little while, bought out after this season. And that will save you $4.3 million right there.
2: there does, he, does he? I, I thought he, he's not on the last year of his deal, isn't he?
0: Yes. Next year is the last year. So oh, they probably so buy him out with one year
2: left, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah and the cap hit would be. <laughs> On that, I think it was front loaded. It'd probably be a, around a million, million five or something like that, and yeah. they could use that to re-sign. I mean, they're gonna they're gonna have to create space. The question and, is, and,
0: the- and this is the last year Tyler's Myers deal, too, right? And so, I mean, that's a whole other topic. But whatever. Anyways, right. so questions.
2: All right. Um, oh well, okay. Just just one more. I'll just touch on one thing here. Um, Buffalo Sabers nine oh, games. That's right, a-
1: we're gonna talk on it. That's gonna answer one of the
2: questions. Okay. Go ahead. Ask the questions then.
1: So, question, first one is, do you think both wild cards can come from the Atlantic? So, now you could say your peak.
2: Um, do I think the Buffalo Sabres are for sure, for real? Not yet, but they're very impressive. And um, they're getting great goaltending from Carter Hutton. Ak, there you go. Um, their defense has been playing really well. Darlene has been improving, uh, you know, on a slow pace, but he's, still, he's very effective. Little bit of a warning sign here because I heard some talk about you know the fact that they're, they're different this year because they have Bogosian and they have Jake McCabe in the lineup. Well, Bogosian
1: is making a difference,
2: I, I don't think so either. But he's he mispracticed today, so there's speculation that he's injured. Shock, shock of all shocks. It's death tax. I mean, and Zach Bogosian being injured. Oh my god, it's, it's just ridiculous. But that being said, I mean, I think I think they're they, they going to be competitive, but. I just think that the whole Jeff Skinner thing is going to be really interesting how it plays out, but I, I don't, I don't, I don't know about, I don't know about about five teams from the Atlantic. I think I don't think Montreal's for for real. They've lost four games in a row, uh, so I, I think back, I mean, they're in a good spot. They they are, but but, I, well, they were. But now they're losing four games in a row. They've lost four games in a row. Weber's coming back. Defense has been the problem. If if Weber can solidify things, then they have a chance. But I think they're fighting tooth and nail for the second wild card. I don't think they're, you know, I don't think they're in it. And I still think it's going to be Tampa, Toronto, Boston, the top three. If Boston can survive these injuries, and then maybe Buffalo, or maybe Ta- maybe Montreal. But I, I think I think, I think we, somebody in the in the. I metro think short
1: answer is yes. One of those teams will probably do it. I do think they're all coming out of the Atlantic. I think Montreal probably. has an excellent – because Montreal got off to the start, now you're adding Weber, I think they could solidify. Um, Buffalo, I do think, is doing the same thing the Rangers did. The Rangers went on that really great 9-1 and one run, and everything looks great, and then you have to see what happens after that, because inevitably team will start to get cold. So they could be the team that's actually out – but I think all those teams are going to be battling. I think we didn't see this with the Canadians and I don't think anybody would have, but the start that they had, I think is very impressive. And I, so I think they're, you know, they're, they're in there. All right. Another question. Next next question. Yeah. Okay. Uh, By the way, um, T2 reports that Julian said regarding all that the team has a lot of cap friendly defenders on the team. I don't want to risk losing one of them, so it is Julian. You know, that's, that's what I
2: figured was the issue there. Um, well, well, that see, that's that. I know that it's been mentioned over the last week or so that they had a a glut on the blue line. So a guy that they wouldn't mind losing, that they're not going to lose, they'd rather do that than lose Mike Riley or um, Jordy Ben or whoever if they're playing. Uh, you know,
1: so this one comes from Matt. Other than Dean Lombardi and Michael Fuda, who are some good candidates, well, you know, Michael Fuda wouldn't be able to go until next year. He's got a job. Is, is Michael Fuda going to take over for Dean Lombardi in, in interim? No. No, he wouldn't do that to Dean Lombardi. So I don't think you're – you know, at the Flyers would be getting Michael Fuda. I think Dean Lombardi's in the mix. Big – probably are reaching out to one or two other GMs, but I don't think it's going to be a long process. I do think Lombardi's got the inside track. He's the one that Holmgren knows well. And so that's that's where I think it's at. I don't think you're going to get like this great, shiny new GM that like some of the young people want in Philly. I think you're going to get somebody that has the experience, and then it's a matter of who else comes in.
2: Peter, how about Mike Gillis? I, uh, I, I'm
0: waiting for Mike Gillis to make a return to the NHL. I think he will. I think it will be very interesting when it happens. And I would love to see the Flyers take a chance on that. Um, But if you bring in Mike Gillis, you're getting rid of some other things in that hierarchy, I think. All right, I think that's his condition that you, he comes in.
1: Yeah, I don't think Gillis that. would come into Philly, not because he doesn't want to. I don't think they would bring him in because, again, with all the other teams doing well, um, they're going to have to trot in somebody that's you know got a history. Otherwise, it's not going to be seen very well. I don't think by the fans or the media.
0: So who, like, I, I here's the thing: when you think about GMs, who's out there right now? Like
1: well, like well, like we said, Lombardi is definitely yeah one.
0: Lombardi. But I mean, who like you? You well, sort of go ch- outside ch- of that. Well, ch- know, ch- curious thing. And and do the Flyers take a pay take, to learn something from the Leafs, and say we have to bring in a new way of thinking? We have to reach a little bit to a different place. They don't have to, the time to uh, kind
1: of search to make that happen. So but, I think the answer to that is no
2: they're going they're going to go to they're going to go with an experienced hand and like you know uh, I, Drager Drager mentioned uh, Ron Francis and mentioned Chuck Fletcher who are two recent f- uh, firings who uh, have a lot of experience and I th- you know I, I think Ron Francis is a good GM did a decent job I think Francis
1: would get an interview I'm not sure yeah. Fletcher would but I think yeah. Francis would because again he didn't leave his team in bad cap space Right. This was an issue where the owner wanted to do something differently than the way Ron Francis is, so he moved Ron Francis. So I think Francis could get a look for sure. There's not a lot of guys out there. That's that's the reality, unless you are going to hire somebody that's really off the grid or you're going to bring back Mike Keenan.
2: You know, or how, how, about, how about Tim Murray? Yeah.
1: So, you know, I don't think any of that's going to happen. I don't think Murray would be coming in.
2: i uh,
1: <laughs> show them. I don't think Don Maloney would be coming in. I think it's a really limited pool, I think. I,
2: you yeah, know. And, and yeah, you, you have to factor in Holmgren's uh, connection to USA hockey. If there are any <laughs> USA hockey guys out there, then maybe that would be you well, know.
1: Holmgren's worked with Lombardi on the USA hockey.
2: Right, right. So that that does give him a leg up. I mean I let's just say this. If I didn't think he was in sort of semi retirement right now because he's being very effective and very entertaining on with on Sportsnet as a commentator, I would think Brian Burke would be a candidate. <laughs> Brian Burke, um, yeah, is, he probably
1: would be. But yeah, I think he likes what he's doing. That's yeah. I agree with that. All right. Um, so another one. Let's see. This one. Thomas asks, "How will Buffalo deal with cap space if they decide to sign Skinner? Well, Bogosian, I think we probably have a year left.
2: They'll, they may Bogosian
0: buy next year and then he's done."
2: They yeah, they, they, they get they, they get cap space from Matt Molson, his yep. contract expiring, so that's one. They'd probably buy out or trade Bogosian, hoping that he stays yep. relatively healthy. Um, they, I think that there's a possibility that they – there's some talk around here about them trading Sam Reinhardt a year ahead of his next big salary. <laughs> Let's
1: address this, right? There was all this talk that Russell Lane had to go – and now that Ristolainen's got another competent defenseman there and doesn't have tons of minutes being thrust on him, they're keeping Ristolainen. So I don't think Sam Reinhardt's going anywhere. I would actually disagree with that. But I do think with Molson and Pogosian with those moves, I think you're fine. I also, you know, like Nathan Beaulieu, I don't know what his contract status is, but he might come off the books. There are young defensemen. You know, we already talked about loot or Pilot is up there already.
2: Yeah, uh Bolu is two point four million. And he's an RFA, but if they don't qualify him, then that would open up the space. Plus, plus, um, Pommonville is a UFA. He's five point six on the cap, yeah. and if he does come back, they probably get him at a lesser amount. So oh, yeah, they can would be like two. Yeah, they can they can open up cap space, and there there are yeah. other you know you could trade Sabotka, you could trade. Um uh counter well I don't know if you'd want to trade Counter Sherry because he's a speedy guy, but yeah, I mean they, they have some room to work with. Actually, so
1: here's another one. How about Garth Snow is Philly GM? I don't believe that'll happen because he's still being paid by the Islanders for a very long time. All right. Um what else? Let's see. There was one other question that was good. It was a Leafs question. Um Okay, Russell this is from Steve, Russell Mike. And Pete, sorry, the Leafs need a top-four D-man more than we need Nealander. In your opinions, of course they do.
2: Yes, yes, and that's why, that's why I understand why they want, why they want to sign Nealander if they can get him on a reasonable term, reasonable amount. I still doesn't, I still don't think that this solves their problems. And my question is, and we can ponder this: is if they sign Nealander and they sign him long-term. Does that make Kasperi Kapanen available to get the defenseman? Because he's going to expect to get paid uh, a, not as much as Neilander but
0: I think the Leafs, Mike. There's no question the Leafs have the assets to get a defenseman. I don't yeah. think there's they they will they, have a, a first round pick that should be in play. They you, there's no question. It's finding the right guy. the The other and and the reason they, I think I think one thing that maybe well look everything gets talked about in Toronto. But the Leafs are a, are a Freddie, Andrew, Freddie Anderson injury away from a epic disaster. About to do right now, if I, if I had to give out an MVP of the league, I give it to Anderson. I like, I, and you'd have a hard time. It's not, ta- it's not a bad choice. It's not like it's.
2: I, 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 playing? I he's
0: playing? He's playing. He's insane.
2: Yeah, he's. I mean, he's playing tonight. It'll be his twentieth start. Um has got
1: Spart- a lot of hills. He is.
2: Yeah, yeah Garrett, Garrett Sparks has played five games this year. Two of them were bad, two of them were good. And honestly, that was the most unimpressive thirty-four save shutout I've ever seen in my life. And he really didn't yeah. make he didn't make one tough save. Now I can't take anything away from him. He didn't allow any goals, and that that's that's all great. But will he be? You know, if Anderson is out for a couple, my 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 uh, evaluation of a backup goaltender is when a starting goaltender goes out for four to six weeks, can the backup? step in for the number one guy, and keep the team's head above water. I don't have that confidence in Garrett Sparks yet. And that's why that's why the, the loss of Pickard and McElhaney was, I think, fairly important because I, I had more confidence in them th- being able to do that than than Sparks. And it's I hard to
1: playing t- on that one, though, because I don't think anybody would have seen that coming where both those guys would get swallowed up and never right. get back in the pool.
2: Like, Agreed. That,
1: that is an oddity. The other thing – I want to bring up about the Nylander defenseman situation. I think we have to come to grips with if Nylander could have brought the defenseman that the Leafs wanted. He'd be traded already. I don't think that's happened. That's why he's not traded. I think if they don't get a defenseman in the Nylander deal, that's what we're talking about because maybe they sign him or maybe he sits out or maybe something else unforeseen happens. Then you might be looking at like Kasperi Kapanen for Justin Falk, something like that. Cause otherwise the Leafs are not, they, this is going on years and years now that they have not been able to fill this spot, and it's only going to get worse if they lose Gardner and Hainsy. Even though Hainsey might be aging, like they have one replacement. I don't know if they have two down below.
2: In in the end, Russ, it's it's a it's a situation where you know maybe the 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 the. the bridge that couldn't be crossed is the fact that the team interested in Neander would have to pay him a big salary and and trade two or three assets. He's worth he's worth two or three assets if he's under contract and if you know that there's cost certainty there. So that's why I still think there's the possibility of maybe a year down the line, maybe at the draft next year, you know, they know that they have enough offense with without him. And if, the, if he has a good year, I, I still think there's a possibility that Under gets traded in the summer but or they on. trade camp? we
1: got a little bit of breaking news here. I, I want to kind of answer it. Okay. So Frank Valley tweets out, Flyers fans have been critical of the so-called faceless corporate overlord running the team since Snyder's passing. It's my understanding that Comcast Spectacore CEO Dave Scott played a central role in Hexto's ouster. wasn't just rubber stamping a new decision. I don't think anybody in the world thought it was anything else. Of course it was a Dave Scott decision. He's the CEO. Yeah, he, I, I brought up a couple of days ago that he had been in the box with Ron Hextall the last few games. Why would anybody think it's anything else? I think this is a ridiculous tweet.
2: Right, and and basically, you know, if you're not going to do something, then you're out, and that's what it sounds like. It sounds like we, you didn't want to make a trade. You not Paul didn't want to...
1: Holmgren's a president. He still has to report to the CEO. Paul Holmgren is not the guy in charge here, people.
0: Yeah. He may have consulted with Paul Holmgren. Right. He may have asked him some questions. He may have asked Lombardi some questions for all we know. But right. you know, Listen,
1: I'm pretty sure the Bobby of the Clark day, was asked too, because I I saw Bobby Clark and Holmgren huddled up the other day. So everybody's been talking. Their whole, you know, they have a yeah. group of people that they talk to yeah. things about.
0: The, the Flyers aren't unlike some teams, but I think they're a little bit more um pervasive in this and that they have a very large legacy of people around in the office compared to other organizations that are former players or have been with the with the club a long time and maybe schneider like that i don't i can't speak to it you guys would know way more than i would and it's a shame x not here too to talk about it but it, it, it's um you know it's different like i've ran into paul holmgren in an elevator in the mts center and i had a nice chat with him he's super oh, friendly. Yeah, he's super friendly. I said, "Hey, and Pete, blah blah blah." They know Ack and blah blah. You know, it's stuff like that, and he's really nice. And you know, they go around and, and they're very involved. Whether you like Holmgren's um Holmgren's sort of history is, the, is when he was GM of the team and stuff is another thing, but they're there and they're going to have an input on some things.
2: Absolutely. Hey, maybe it's Bobby Clark returning. <laughs> okay guys good good show we did this on the fly here because i'm up in toronto for yep. the bruins leafs game we'll be back tomorrow uh, stay tuned for the time it usually fluctuates every day uh for PTSEA 4 for russ cohen i'm michael agello thanks for watching and remember without the buzz it's just hockey
0: with lucky landslots you can get lucky just about anywhere
1: dearly beloved we are gathered here today to has anyone seen the bride and groom